This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Saturday, back at it, ready to rock and roll. Hey, welcome into the program. It's Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM KQAM. Heard some booming a little bit ago. Thunder rolling in. Got like 30 seconds of a shower, so that's nice. Maybe we'll get a little bit more throughout the South Central Kansas area. But, hey, it's a Saturday. Let's get you up and moving, doing the thing like we do every single weekend here on the show. And it's great to have you along for the ride today. Open lines to you at 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, I'd love to hear from you today as we have a solid program lined up for you like we do every single week. And I'm super excited. Coming up, bottom of the hour, Chief of Wichita Police Chief Gordon Ramsey. He'll be in studio with us for about a half hour. Looking forward to chatting with him. We tried to get him on a couple weeks ago. We weren't able to connect, so uh, got that rescheduled, and he should be in here today. And we are super excited to chat with him. Our first time having Wichita Police Chief Gordon Ramsey on the program, and uh, really excited about that one. Top of hour number two, State Representative Stephen Owens up in the Newton area on the northern part as we talk about a legislative recap. As you know, just a, a last week, a few days ago, we officially have concealed carry allowance coming in for 18-year-old individuals as well. You can now carry a firearm at 18 years old. Uh, I mean, you were able to with open carry, but now you can do it with concealed carry, with your certification, with your class. We'll talk about some gun rights here in the state of Kansas with State Representative Stephen Owens. And at the bottom of next hour, we'll get a quick update from the American Red Cross as they are in a dire blood shortage. Why? That's kind of wild. So we'll get to all that and more, plus your phone calls at 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. Uh, all presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue for buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity of all your gold and silver needs. Phil Martinez, we get him in at the bottom at the end of every month. Super awesome to talk with him. Phil Martinez, 9344 West Central Avenue of Phil's Coins. Online at philscoins.com. They open up their store today in about 20 minutes at 9.30, and they'll be open until 2.30 this afternoon. So there's a lot of topics I want to get to, and we have some calls on the line I'll, I'll take here in just a second. But let me open up and tease the topics that you can comment on today as there's a lot of things still going on in the state of Kansas, is there not? It's it's weird because we're not in the legislative session any longer. We're going into an election, like a kind of sort of an election this year that's really, I mean, obviously there is an election, but it's smaller couple Wichita City Council seats. We'll talk about that as they get closer. A couple school board member seats. We'll talk about those candidates as it gets a little bit closer as well. But next year's the big one, the big kahuna, the midterm elections, which is weird because midterms are usually like, okay. And then the presidential elections every four years are kind of the big ones. But this is huge. As Donald Trump would say, it's huge. It's bigly because of these midterm elections. We have candidates all over the uh, all over the state right now announcing for races already with the governor's race, with Senate races, with state legislative seats, with the attorney general, with uh, uh, secretary of state. There's races all over the place that people are getting angst up about and Republicans jumping in early. Does that mean we have momentum going into this race? So we'll talk about some of those. Plus, at the same time, next year is also the point of redistricting in the state of Kansas, a huge opportunity for Republicans or Democrats based on what the census numbers look like, based on where populations have grew or shrunk across the state. And we start talking about redistricting in the state. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one. 
because it sounds like we're going to have some seats being lost in certain areas, a couple seats in our state legislature being won in certain areas. What's that going to do to the dynamic of the state? We'll talk about that here in just a bit as well. Plus, we have our very own nice, special, wonderful guy who's never come on this program before, and we've tried to get him many, many times, our very own U.S. Senator Jerry Moran, who has come out in support of the federal infrastructure package. I know. Yeah, so he's come out in support of that. Uh, U.S. Senator Roger Marshall in opposition with that one. We've talked with our legislators on the program many times before. They're not in support of this except for, of course, Jerry Moran. So we'll talk about why he's supporting that one and do you agree with him or not. So we have a heck of a lot to get to today, and you can comment on all those and more. Plus, it's kind of a Saturday, so we keep it open for them to you as well with some other stuff. We have some endorsements. We have some candidates uh, jumping into the race lately that are trying to compete in the primaries on the Republican side. Also, candidates that have endorsed Republicans. Also, Democrats that have jumped into races because I think they're getting behind the ball a little bit as well. Not to mention at the federal level, the Democrat National Convention has just officially sunk in $25 million into voter registration initiatives across the nation run by none other than the person that tried to pull some shenanigans in the election in Georgia and still thinks that she's the legitimate governor of Georgia, Stacey Abrams, on the Democrat side. She's the one heading up the $25 million voter registration initiatives, which I'm still curious about. And we talked about during the Voice of Reason over the week. I'm curious on why they're doing voter registration when supposedly they just had 80 million voters turn out to vote for Joe Biden in November. If you have 80 million voters already registered as Democrats that turned out for Joe Biden, if you just have that number turn out again, why do you need more registered voters? Doesn't make any sense to me. Instead of talking about issues, they just force the voter registration. They knock on your door. They try and corner you in the public. They do whatever they can to get you, quote unquote, registered to make it more convenient because they think you're too stupid to know how to go to the courthouse and get registered to vote if you choose to want to do so on your own. So they pull that card while Republicans kind of use a different tactic by talking about, I don't know, topical issues and limited government and free enterprise and personal responsibility and, you know, all those crazy topical things that usually get people to the voting booth. But if you have, if you truly had 80 million votes turn out in November, what's the point of trying to increase voter registration unless you're certain targeting a certain demographic that maybe is ineligible or can't vote or people just don't want to vote, but you kind of strong on them to guilt them because, well, your politics suck. So we'll talk about some of that later as well. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. It's going to be a big show. Let's jump right into it with line number one here, shall we? Good morning. Who's this? This is Frederick. Frederick, how are you, sir? I'm fine. Now, just remember, I'm an old, old, old man, so if you're not nice to me, it'll cost you $2,000. There we go. There we are. I'm always I'm always friendly to you, Frederick. What's going on? I, I, I know, but, you know, if I was a little bit of a homosexual, uh, I'd get me more support. And uh, <laughs> uh, if, if I was one-legged, I would get a little bit more, so... You know, Don't you love the victimization? Dollars. Don't you love the victimization in the country? I mean, if you're different than the quote-unquote status quo or the norm, then you need to be a victim. You need to show that you're a victim, and you need to be, you know, you're courageous. You're you're strong and courageous. Oh, how courageous are you because you need to talk about this identity political issue? I uh, I mean, that's the world that we live in today. You know, uh, honestly, I my friends are my age group, and we take pride in standing on our own two feet, standing and doing what we can do on our own. 
Mm. We do not need a law that states that uh, if you're upset with me, you get fined $2,000. Now, the only thing that really helps is that since some of us have trouble walking more than a block, is uh, you can park in, in with the, the handicap signs in front of stores, which is, oh, which is nice. But for the most part, for 99.99%, we take pride in ourselves knowing that although we're old, we still stand strong and we still stand tall yeah. and we don't need any person to feel sorry for us. We just, we just go straight ahead because, you know, that's just the way we were raised. I'm right there with you. Look, I don't like in any way, shape, or form people judging or discriminating against anyone for skin color, gender, sexual orientation. We just don't care. And as conservatives, like we've talked about it so many times before, identity politics is literally the lowest IQ level of political debate or argumentative substance because it's stupid. If you mention color, if you mention gender, if you mention sexual orientation, if you mention whatever, it's just it, you have nothing else in your arson to talk about. You can't think at a higher IQ level of any deeper situation, so you have to look at the surface level, the surface value of someone's gig, which is stupid. So, I mean, I don't I, like any of that, and people like that need to be shunned from society. At the same time, you're right. The fact that the city, the city council needs to pass some anti-discrimination ordinance in order to fine individuals $2,000 it's just dumb. It's unnecessary, and it's stupid. I don't know how many cases of that are going on in the city of Wichita. I can't imagine they're very much. And if someone does get fired, is it because you were gay or is it because you didn't do your job? I'm assuming 99.9% of the time that if someone lost their job, it's because they didn't do their job or they made people uncomfortable by talking about issues by saying, hey, I'm so-and-so and I this is my lifestyle. Aren't you proud of me sort of thing as opposed to just doing your job. Like, if you just do your job and you're good at your job, I'm pretty sure that there's not a business owner in the city of Wichita that's going to be like, you know, I just don't like your lifestyle. You're gone. I don't see that you know, happening. And, you know, Andy, uh, I was in a position for about five years to be the person that hired a route drivers for a very large company here in Wichita. And in, in the interview that I've had with, oh, many, 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 many individuals, not one time did it ever cross my mind, uh, this person's sexual orientation or anything? I mean, you, you just, in an interview, you just, you don't say, well, uh, you know, it just, you just don't do it. I mean, it's, it, it's unnecessary. It never even crossed my mind. Yeah. It's, and, it, and see, they don't it. grasp that. That's why, look, uh, the hist history shows that the, the Democrat Party, the progressive mentality, I'm not even talking about a party here, I'm talking about an ideology, liberal progressive values. Since the beginning of this nation, they're the ones that they've always looked at that surface level identity politics, the color of the skin, the sexual orientation, the lifestyle, the identity politics, whatever it was. They're the ones that supported slavery. They supported segregation. They supported Jim Crow laws. They've always looked at it. And they're trying to recover that guilt and, and, and apologize for that guilt, but they don't know how to do it because they can't look past it. We don't see that stuff. We just don't care it's not important we want to go about our life if you're a good person then you're a good person we live by the martin luther king values of we judge someone based on their character not based on the color of their skin because it's not it's a non-factor for us and they're so twisted up and so deep into it that they want to apologize to it but don't know how because they don't know how to look past that and just be blind to that sort of thing so they have to focus on it as a way to fix it which only deepens the issue and it's just stupid, and we can't grasp it because we just don't see that. If you break the law, 
then you're probably not an asset to society, regardless of what your skin color is. If you are in your face trying to force someone to accept who you are, then that now has become your entire you instead of part of you. I mean, I don't care if it's a part of you, but when it's all of you because that's all you talk about and you want to make sure everybody's aware of it, then that takes things to a different level because they're so focused on those types of issues. And for us, we just don't get it. You know, Andy, uh, when I was teacher out drivers, I would say there's one, there's a few things you never talk about when you're out selling your product. You don't talk about race. You don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics. The only thing you talk about is being a, a good person and selling your product and treating all people, no matter who they are, what they are, with respect. What a concept. And that's what, and that's what our company taught. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I taught. And I know for an absolute fact that we did have some um, individuals that were possibly gay working for us. But, hey, that's fine as long as... If you do your job. Absolutely. And to and believe it or not, uh, they were actually excellent employees, and I supported them. And there was one young man, he wanted uh, to go into another field, and he needed a couple of days off to go for an interview, and he didn't know what to do. He didn't want to lie to me and tell me that he was sick, and he just walked up and he asked me, he says, this is what my dream is. And I, and I told him, I said, well, I'll tell you what, if that's your dream, I'll cover for you for the two days. I don't want you to say anything to anybody, and you just and I'll clear it with uh, upper management. And you go ahead, you take those two days off, and you know that uh, if you're successful, that's wonderful. I wish you the best of luck. If not, uh, hey, we'll just go on, and everything will be just perfect. And yeah. that's the way I operated. And, sure. You know, I don't know about this new world, Andy. It's just weird <laughs> it is it's a real a weird world i i don't get it it doesn't make any sense to me and like i've said before i i get to the point with these identity politics where we just what we don't care anymore. that's where we get to at this point yeah. so frederick i i gotta take a break here my friend it's good to talk to you and you're absolutely right it's a ridiculous vote from the city council i think but you know what do you do where we're at but it, again it comes down to the character of individuals just do your thing man do your job, live your life. Let's all be happy. Let's get along. It's all great. Appreciate that. We'll take some more calls when we get back here. It's Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. Twenty-four minutes past the hour. Welcome back into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today, Saturday morning. Candace Talk three one six seven two one eight two five five three one six seven two one Talk. If you want to join into the program, I'm glad you brought that up, Frederick, with the city council voting on the anti-discrimination law. Again, do we need? Uh, here's the thing: we already have rules against like harming people. So if that's happening, then why does it need to be based on identity politics? If we're treating people badly and poorly, why do we need to do it based on identity politics? I, I think it. Unfortunately, falls into the victimization category of just feeling like a victim. And are people always treated right in society? Absolutely not. Not in any way, shape, or form. And that's what we need to get rid of. It needs to be done based on education of showing people, I just, I, I don't care. I don't care about skin color. I don't care about sexual orientation. I don't care about gender. I just don't care. Are you a good person? Are you treating me nicely? Or are you a jerk? Are you doing the job at hand? Or are you slacking off? Are you making part of who you are your entire identity? 
but yet the other side, when they debate on identity politics, it really is the lowest common denominator. It is the lowest IQ level of debate because they have nothing left in their arson, which you can tell on the national front, on the Democrat Party and the progressive side of the aisle, that that's really their mindset. I mean, look at what they're doing. They're doing a $25 million voter registration initiative a year and a half out from the midterm elections. Number one, because they're scared. Normally, the midterm elections predominantly do well to the opposition party. At this point, that would be Republicans with the Joe Biden administration, which means we're more than likely going to take back the House. We're more than likely going to take back the Senate. And therefore, we can stop the Joe Biden administration for the last two years of his administration. If he is president, I don't know. Kamala Harris could still be, quote unquote, oops, I can't believe he tripped down the stairs when he went to tie his shoe because he can't remember his name anymore. So that is still up in the air, but predominantly the opposition does well in the midterm elections, which means Republicans are going to, so they're scared. My curiosity is why are we sinking, why are they sinking $25 million of their own money in the DNC into voter initiatives when they had uh, supposedly 80 million voters turn out to vote for Joe Biden, breaking the record, shattering the record for voters in the last election. If you have 80 million voters across the nation, you just need them to turn out. You don't need new ones. You're just washing them off, or there's something else going on. So I find that interesting. And here in Kansas, they're working on that as well. Here in Kansas, we have a bigger issue. We have redistricting going on next year because of the census numbers that came out every 10 years. We look at the census, we look at the redistricting, and we are going to see a change in our state legislature, which makes me sad because we did really, really well in this legislative session this last year because we had more conservatives in there. We've worked really hard to do that, and we finally got our legislature to about where we needed to be to actually start ramming through some good conservative packages. What's gonna, What's it going to look like next year after the redistricting? Because what it sounds like is we're going to lose a state house seat, one or two down in the southeast corner of Kansas. That's a conservative base. We're going to gain another one in the Johnson County area with the increase in population there, which means now we have offset the formula a little bit. We could see either another moderate Republican or we could see a Democrat actually get into the legislature to kind of throw it off kilter. It may not change a whole lot, but we're smooth right now. We're starting to get the oil running through the system. We're starting to get it greased up and actually run smoothly with conservative legislation. Oh, look at what we did this year. We actually tried to find, we came this close to have an education savings account for children to go to private schools or charter schools or at least some sort of school competition so that way we can raise the quality of public education. We came this close to being able to do that. We've never gotten that close. We came this close to being able to lower some sales tax on items to where we could release the tax burden. We did at least be able to match and say that you could have deductibles and you can actually have write-offs on your tax and you can match what we do at the federal level in the state of Kansas. We did some great stuff. We got concealed carry permits for 18-year-olds. Before they could open carry, now they can conceal carry. We did some really great stuff, and we're going to talk with State Representative Stephen Owens about that coming up in hour number two of the program because we did some cool stuff. Is that going to be shaken up in this next election? Not just because of the midterm elections and how it could off-kilter that already with the election, which I don't think. I think we're in a good momentum where we could see it move forward another way. But with the changing after the redistricting thereafter, is that going to change it up? It's going to be interesting to see for sure. Uh, so we'll talk about that with State Representative Stephen Owens in hour number two because I think it's going to be big going into the next election. But redistricting is going to be huge. As Donald Trump says, it's going to be bigly. It's going to be the biggest one we've ever seen because it's going to really change the dynamic for many parts. At the same time, for the current candidates that have already run and jumped into the race for next year, 
again, a year and a half out and we're seeing candidates get excited and run. We're, we're seeing some excitement on the Republican side already. Uh, for the governor's race, Bob Dole and former Senator Pat Roberts have now come out with their endorsements early in this race without all the candidates even being into the race for the governor's race. And they've endorsed Attorney General Derek Schmidt. Interesting. Very odd. Over Jeff Collier. So we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. Bottom of the hour break. When we come back, we'll shift gears a little bit, bring it back down to the home front here in the city of Wichita. Wichita Police Chief Gordon Ramsey hanging out in studio with us for a half hour. Excited to chat with him. Lots to get to as he's never been on the program with us before. So we'll look forward to chat with him and get caught up on what's going on with law enforcement here in the city. Plus your phone calls. We'll love to hear from you as well. It's Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Welcome back into the program. 34 minutes past the hour on the Big Talker KQAM presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. It's Phil's Coins. They are officially open right now, open until 2.30 this afternoon. Make sure and go and check them out. He is literally, Phil Martinez, about the only guy, not just in the city of Wichita, not just in the state of Kansas, but the entire region where he's about the only guy that has silver actually on hand with the high demand. So make sure and go and check him out. Open until 2.30 this afternoon. Also online at philscoins.com. Want to shift gears a little bit, and we'll get back to those conversations in just a bit. But super excited about our next guest in studio here rocking it with us. Uh, the first time with me chatting on the radio. Super excited to have Wichita Police Chief Gordon Ramsey. Chief, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the program. I appreciate it very much. I know that you guys have been extremely busy and uh, I'm really excited to have you on. And uh, we were just talking off the air. I have to get an update from you regularly, kind of get you as a regular guest again I'd like and uh, and do something here. But uh, there's a lot I want to talk about. First off, I want to ask about the big story that happened a couple weeks ago, the shooting with the officer. I know he was in the hospital. Uh, name hadn't been released just because the family wanted to kind of keep it quiet. But how is he doing right now? You know, he's doing much better. Uh, we were really worried about him. He was shot uh, in the legs and the head. Mm. And uh, he is one tough man and very dedicated to his family and dedicated to improving. And we're happy to say he uh, he's out of ICU and yeah. uh, doing well. Good. That's really good news. Uh, that's really good news. It's, it's something that, unfortunately, I do a little bit of news at the station here and see all the news stories that's going on and a shooting here and a robbery here and things are going on. Over the last year, we've we've heard the comments and the stories that we're, we're up with gun violence right now. We're up with crime in the city of Wichita right now. Do you think COVID had a lot to do with that? Uh, just financial strain, just pressures with a lot of businesses closing down. What's Why are we seeing an increase right now? It's kind of odd. Yeah, I think it's everything. And it's not just gun violence. Gun violence is what often gets the headlines. We're seeing, you know, uh, violence in many areas. We had a, a, a parolee strike a woman in the head with a rock the other day as he tried to rob her. Mm. You know, so what? there's a lot of factors that are, you know, causing this, I believe. I think that, uh, one, the... The fact that we had the lockdown, there wasn't opportunities for people to do things. You know, bars were closed. The courts were closed. Yeah. Even after they opened back up, if you came to court for a hearing, they'd ask you at the door, hey, do you have any COVID symptoms? <laughs> um, you know, have you had a fever? Well, I'd watch it out my window sometimes, and it looked like about 90% of the people that were going into court were leaving. 
of course, a lot of these folks know that if they go into court, they might not come out. Right. Sure. Um, so the accountability piece really floundered last year because of COVID. Yeah. The other big thing that concerns me more and more is we see habitual offenders over and over and over committing crime. And with some of the reforms that have been made, I, I really think we need to look at, you know, what's the impact that they're having? Yeah. I can tell you, you talk to our cops on the street and they know uh, people's name by heart. They know their social security number by heart that they keep dealing with over wow. and over. And so it's the same small group that commit most of our crime. Okay. And we need to look at why, why can't we solve this? The you deeper know? issue. Yeah. Yeah. Why in you know in Wichita I get concerned that we have uh, parolee dumping from around the state. Again, you know I see the the hometowns and where people are from and the fact they're on parole, and I wonder why are they here? Why aren't they where they're from? Right, and where their support system could be, their family could be, and so there's a lot of factors that roll into this. But I think from my perspective, we need to look at you know where some of the reforms that we that have been enacted are they really serving the purpose that we thought they would. That's concerning that we have so, uh, so many repeat offenders and we deal with the same people so many times. I remember way back when during the Brownback administration that he had prided himself on some of the rehabilitation programs from the state prisons and the correction facilities of uh, the low turnaround of people returning back to the state prisons. Are those programs still there? Are they just not working? Are they just different from here in the city of Wichita? I mean, what's uh, that's, why are we seeing these repeat guys? It's weird. Well, you know, all you have to do is look at the numbers and our Broadway corridor right now is, you know, really a mess with, um, all of society's social issues. Yeah. And one of the things that we see is we see that people have been released. They're not given the support systems that they need. You know, the reentry, uh, oftentimes reentry is, uh, department of corrections van slows down just enough to push the parolee out. So the, there's no support for them. And oftentimes people, they're in prison for a reason, and oftentimes it has to do with chemical dependency, mental health, other issues, and those simply aren't being addressed. Sure. Uh, and the police right now, all the issues we're dealing with, it's like a tornado of these complex social issues, and we're the face for everything that's wrong in society right now. And yeah. We have to deal yeah, with it. You guys are the bad guys right now. Oh, in every way. Yeah. yeah. And then imagine being, you know, our police officers uh, – we try to hire the best and the brightest. We pay them a mediocre wage and being thrown into this and told to solve it. And heaven forbid you should screw up. Right? <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it. I, I had taught, thought about a long time ago getting into law enforcement and, and when those issues started to arise. And I just, I, I, I don't know how you do it. So I, I value you guys so much. And it's crazy to see that. Uh, what I loved was uh, one of your press conferences a week or two ago, you had mentioned that uh, some of the partnerships with some federal agencies to do an operation here to try and clean up some of the crime going on here, but you had mentioned that this isn't a long-term fix. I mean, there's got to be a, an addressment to the root cause of the issue, which I absolutely love because we need to address those root causes. But right now with what's going on, this needs to be done to get them off the street. Then we can start to work on that because that's really what needs to be done. Right. And, you know, we talk about uh, the need for more treatment for mental health and chemical dependency, but also there's a, just that factor. Some people need to be locked up. Yeah. There, there's, there's a, there's some, they just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. Right. Uh, the program you're talking about, it's Operation Triple Beam. It's in partnership with the U.S. Marshal Service. We did it in 2019, and our numbers plummeted. Mm. We ended up locking up about, I think it was close to 800 wanted individuals. <laughs> and it was significant. And uh, it did put a burden on the jail and uh, the sheriff and his staff. But what we saw is that our violence dropped significantly. 
2019 was our best year uh, probably in seven, eight years where we saw a significant sure. decrease. Well, then remember what happened after 2019, COVID came along. Yeah. And then as soon as COVID hit, we started to see our, our shootings increase significantly and the wheels came off the bus. That's unfortunate. It really. How did COVID affect you guys law enforcement-wise outside of the crime stuff that, that increased, but dealing with the public? I know that we had talked about you know the, the gloves and the hand sanitizer and the masks, and which I'm sure makes everything just that much more difficult. But as from the law enforcement perspective side, what did you guys do to adapt during COVID last year? It was a challenging year. Not only was it challenging because our, our guys had to wear masks and uh, you know it was harder to communicate with people. It was, uh, you know, part of it too is I think the mask thing we saw – hid people's identity, you know, so mm. you could do more with a mask on and, and get away with it. And we saw many cases where we know people were wearing a mask, not because they wanted to, but because it hid their identity. Yeah. Uh, we were put again, put in a very difficult situation where some of the mask stuff was put on the cops shortly after, you know, all the unrest we had about over policing. And all of a sudden people were saying, okay, we want you to go out and do mask enforcement. Sure. So we had to be, uh, we had, to, you know, we really tried to do a balancing act of, of uh, trying to keep everybody happy, which is very difficult. But some of the mass stuff, you know, especially after all the controversy about police last year and petty stuff, right? Then they say, hey, okay, here now deal with the mask stuff, and it just was, adds on top of it. It was, it was uh, just added to a very stressful year. Man, that's crazy. From your perspective, what is the worst crime that you're dealing with right now, the most amount of it? Is it the gun violence? Is it drugs? Is it the human trafficking uh, and some of the some of those issues? What's From your perspective, what's the biggest issue that we're needing to address in Wichita right now? Well, violence and drugs are inherently tied together. Yeah. Um, you know, so I would say a lot of our crime is driven by drugs. A lot of our violence is driven by drugs. When we talk about the increase in mental health issues, I believe a lot of it is drug-induced psychosis that we're seeing. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of like the synthetic drugs and extreme meth use and other drug use causes your brain to change its chemistry. Sure. Uh, so a lot of the a lot of the issues that we're seeing is drug-related, and a lot of our homicides are drug ripoffs. Um, you know, there's that nexus to drugs. So uh, they're all interwoven. Yeah. We t- we're going to talk with State Representative Stephen Owens uh, at the top of the hour and uh, being part of the Kansas uh, Kansas State Rifle Association. I'm on the board member for that. He is as well. Uh, uh, the legislature this year passed the concealed carry for 18-year-olds that just took effect at the beginning of this month. Now, 18-year-olds already able to open carry in the state, but now they can conceal carry with that license. Is that going to have any effect, do you think, on, on crime rates? I mean, obviously, being 18-year-olds, I don't know how many 18-year-olds are actually going to want to, and they need that licensing. Will that have an effect on crime, positive or negative, or is it really not going to make a big difference, do you think? You know what? Uh, I never have an issue with a good person with a gun, yeah. ever. Our concerns revolve around you know, how people store them, uh, you know, don't leave them in your car. We see a significant number of guns stolen that yeah. know, just aren't stored properly. Uh, for me, it doesn't, that doesn't, that's not an issue. It is the bad guys with the guns that we're not dealing effectively with. Sure. Yeah. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the uh, the relationship with the communities. I have to admit, I've never seen an agency like yours in the department work so closely with the community and work so hard to connect with the community. And after the Black Lives Matter movement that started a couple years ago, we had the barbecue. You guys came out. You did your thing. And uh, it, it's been an ongoing discussion with certain communities around Wichita. It's uh, Overall, nationally, we hear about 
again, cops being evil and treating you know minorities horribly and so on and so forth. But from your perspective in our community in Wichita, what you have done, do we have a good relationship with a lot of the communities around the around the city? Yeah, I think it's improved a lot. We, you know, policing is relational. It's all about relation. It's yeah. all about how you treat people and how you interact with your community. Our biggest issue is that you know we are a uh, we're a lean police department. We don't have a lot of extra fluff. And when you mm. compare us to our comparable cities, Omaha and Tulsa, you know they have 150 to 200 more police officers than we have. Sure. Uh, I frequently hear frustration from people about you know my case isn't being investigated. You guys took too long to get to my call. Uh, that's a concern to me because yeah. I want we want to provide a good service. Our officers want to provide a good service, but the demands and the complexity of policing. Uh, continue to rise and what we're expected to address, you know, I mean, uh, you know, the homelessness issues, all these mental health issues that we get pulled into mental health calls take much longer to address than your typical police call. Sure. So uh, we're very busy. And what I want is I want our officers to have time where they're not on calls to go and meet with people and talk and just talk about things that aren't related to policing to get to know one another. Just to be part of, or to yeah. be a member of that community. I mean, I love exactly. some of the comments from police chiefs around the uh, around the country that say, if you want change in your community, be a police yes. officer, represent in your community, and make that community better by working with us and actually making that happen. Hundred percent. Yeah. And for for us, that we just need to find the time for officers to go and proactively interact and play ball with kids and build those relationships because we solve crime when people give us information. Sure. And they give us information when they trust us. You know, yeah. our homicide clearance rate, and I'm going to toot the, our homicide detectives horn a little bit because they, they, you know, they're a humble group of folks up there, but they solve 80 to 90% of our homicides. For the, nas- the national average is about 61% for sure. homicide solved. When you compare larger cities like us, it's around 40%. Wow. So we have some really great staff that, that work hard to keep this city safe. Yeah, no, absolutely. Do you guys have... A shortage, are you okay? I mean, we've talked to uh, the Cedric County Sheriff Jeff Easter, and he had talked about, you know, obviously the shortage in the prison right now and how they, they've been short-staffed. Has that affected you guys at the city level with police force, or are you guys doing okay? You know, we've seen a slight increase in turnover. People, some people deciding, you know, this isn't necessarily for me. Yeah. But our, we have a dream team recruiting uh, that they are out there, and they've made connections with our military bases. They've made connections with our university and from 2015, we had about 400-some applicants that year. Mm. Well, we've been averaging around 1,000 the last couple of years and really good candidates. We have uh, 30-some officers starting next week, uh, and 75% have a four-year degree. Wow. It's a, you know, when you talk about recruiting from your community, it's a very diverse class. Uh, so we are, they're hitting it out of the park. We're not seeing the issues that others are. Yeah, you're seeing a lot of women come in too, aren't you? Yeah, it's yeah, that's uh, wild. That's it's, cool. Yeah, we when I got here, we had about 76 women officers. We're up around uh, 115 to 120 today. How cool. Yeah, and you know where I really see the difference in how the face of the department is changing is when I go out at night. That's the least senior people. Sure. And uh, it's fun to see. It's, it's, it's great to see, you know, uh, it's exciting to be a part of that. And that was one of the demands from the community when I got here is that we want to see uh, more women. We want to see more diversity, and and our recruiting team's making that happen. It's happening. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I've never seen uh, such involvement with the community, with your agency, what you've done with the department, and it's really cool to see. So I commend you for that. Really, really good. Let's take a break here, real quick. When we come back, I want to talk about some law enforcement on the streets, uh, some of the seatbelt laws, some of the stuff you're working on to continuously make the community better as well. It's Wichita Police Chief Gordon Ramsey. If you want to call in 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK, we'll try and sneak in some calls as well. It's Candace Talk here on Saturday morning here on the Big Talker, KQAM. Stay here. 
Eight minutes to the top of the hour, wrapping up the program. Hour number one, at least, of the program here on Candace Talk for the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM, KQAM. Wichita Police Chief Gordon Ramsey hanging out in studio with us here this half hour. All right, I got to ask you the most important question of the entire interview. Tonight, the big UFC 264. Do you watch fighting, MMA fighting? I do. Uh, not as much as I'd like. Yeah, I got young kids. So. Okay. Conor McGregor going to dominate tonight. Well, the man, the Irishman, back yeah. at it. You know what? I... I like humility, and that guy doesn't have an answer, <laughs> right? <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. He is I, – I I never used to follow it. I enjoy the sport, but I never follow it intensely. But I always buy a pay-per-view fight when Conor McGregor's fighting. Yeah. The man. Is, he's, and we'll see if he can redeem himself tonight. Well, so. and I'm 100% Scots. And, you know, Scots mm, and Irish yeah, uh, yep. have butted heads over the years. So, uh, I don't know. He had talked about that in one of his interviews of, you know, why he's doing this after making $600 million and everything. And he had – he had made the comment, he's like, I'm a McGregor. He's like, our name was known by, you know, being warriors and fighting. And actually, you know, just, that's what we do. It's in my blood. I can't get rid of it. So I don't care how much money I am. I'm going to keep on fighting. So yeah. it's the way we roll. I guess that's the Scotch Irish. <laughs> that's the same me too. That's what we do. That's why I'm feisty on the radio, pushing the button to anger everybody I possibly can. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. I, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this to the Wichita police chief, but I have self-admitted that I have extreme road rage. I don't like, I, I, I don't drive aggressively but i get irritated easily on the roads um i've talked about with the political stance of why we have seatbelt laws and so on and so forth because you know you should wear your seatbelt you're stupid if you don't but you know to use law enforcement to take away from prior things to do that we've had a lot of those discussions on the air but we've seen an increase in traffic issues this year already whether people just forgot how to drive last year because of covid because they were bored i don't know what the case is but we are seeing fatalities up this year compared to normal years, aren't we? Yeah, we during COVID last year we saw our numbers, our fatality numbers start to go up. This year we're at I think twenty six or twenty seven traffic fatalities. Uh, last year this time we were at eleven or twelve. Mm. Our average is generally in the upper twenties for the year, so the we year. are wow. almost uh, at our yearly average, and we're only our yearly long. quota already. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> good golly. And we're just seeing you know some extreme driving behavior that is concerning. And then you top that with, you know, there was groups last year calling to for policing to get out of traffic enforcement. Mm. And, you know, as a guy, I've got young kids, I've yeah. got family. Um, I get worried about being on the road sometimes. I get worried about my kids oh, walking yeah. on the sidewalk that someone's not paying attention and on their phone or driving recklessly. Right. You know, our job is to keep the streets safe for the public. Sure. Yeah, it, it is important, and I mean, law enforcement of traffic needs to stay there for, by all means. I mean, what's the biggest issue right now? Is it distracted driving with maybe texting? Is it driving too fastly? Is it DUIs and, and different uh, uh, driving under the influence issues? I mean, what are we seeing right now? Well, it's a little bit of everything. Um, okay. We see the distracted driving. I mean, all you have to do is next time you're at a red light, look around you. Yeah. I mean, who's not on their phone? That's Eating a burger, more, right. you know, whatever, yeah. yeah right. Doing their makeup. <laughs> so distracted driving is a big issue, and I think that's responsible for most of our crashes. But what we've seen is uh, driving behavior among certain people. They've gotten very aggressive. Speeds are up. You know, we see the, you know, some of our highest speeds uh, like we haven't seen in years. I was at a crash earlier this year. Someone was going 100-plus in a 35 zone and oh struck gosh. an elderly couple that turned in front of them. Wow. Uh, devastating crash. That's some of the things that we've seen that was extremely rare before. We're seeing these excessive speeds more and more. Yeah, that's unfortunate. The old adage I used to, I remember my parents saying when I was learning to drive was uh, at nine over, or what was it? Uh, 
At 10 over, you'll get pulled over. At 9, you're just fine or something like that. That's uh, that's not really the case here, is it? That's not what we need to be uh, training under. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Courtesy is the best thing for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes, you know, we've all done it where we've accidentally cut someone off or whatever. But, um, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt and, and be courteous to it. I mean, we've lost some civility. We need to be courteous and civil. To each well, that's what it comes down to. Just yeah. just being courteous to each one another. Everybody's living their own life. And, you know, if they're a panic and an urgency, a bad day, whatever, that's going to happen. But, you know, right. if we're courteous, we just do our thing and, and abide by the rules. We're going to be just fine. We're out of time, my friend. It's great to talk to you. I really appreciate you coming on here. we got to get this on a regular and see what you guys are up to. But thank you for all your service, everybody on the force. As I mentioned, I don't know how you guys do what you do every single day because – you're under scrutiny every day and while you're supposed to do everything to take care of people then you get in trouble whenever you do it for some reason and i don't get it so thank you for what you guys do we appreciate your support this community is very good to our department and uh, we're grateful for everybody's support i love it wichita police chief gordon ramsey let's get you back on the show again soon sounds good hey sounds great we got some calls online we'll get to you when we come back plus state representative stephen owens wrapping up hour number one of kansas talk hour number two right around the corner after our top of the hour cbs news it's kansas talk here on the big talker kqam lots more coming up stay right here Ramsey personality Rachel Cruz. Making your first budget can seem daunting, especially if you're a spender, but it doesn't have to be. On The Ramsey Show, we'll show you how to give every dollar a name and take back control of your greatest wealth building tool, your income. The Ramsey Show, live 2 to 4, right here on The Big Talker, 1480 AM and 1025 FM, KQAM. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Hour number two of Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM KQAM. It's a Saturday morning. Good morning to you. Let's get you up and moving. We had some booming and some thunder out there like an hour or two ago just for a minute. Sprinkled for like like 30 seconds then went away. Maybe we can get some of that back cool things off a little bit i gotta say i love summertime but i you know 90 plus degree weather i'm I'm not okay with i've been doing the whole like cold shower thing and cool thing and trying to stay cool and i've never enjoyed cool but now i would much rather take the uh, 50 degree weather 40 degree weather uh don't get me wrong i love summertime but good golly it's gotten a little warm this year welcome back in 316-721-8255 got some calls in line i promise i'll get to you in a bit here hang tight don't go anywhere Thanks again to, by the way, Wichita Police Chief Gordon Ramsey. A hell of a guy. Absolutely love him. Appreciate what he does for the community, uh, what he does with this department. And as we say all the time, thank you, law enforcement. And I know we have some law enforcement that listen to the program. Thank you, county sheriffs, state troopers, uh, city city police officers. Whatever. Thank you for what you do, as we talked about on the air with him. I don't know how you do your job. How are you supposed to be like, you need to be here. You need to protect me. You need to do what you have to do. You have to. Do, you need to protect me in this city. But if you do something wrong, how dare you? You're the most evil person on the face of the earth. You want to kill people. And it, it drives me nuts when uh, that's the mentality we have. So to be in that situation, to accept that responsibility, and to take care of the community, thank you. We love you to death here on The Voice Reason, the KQA Airwaves, Techline Communications, all, uh, so many of us. Thank you. 
for what you do uh, for the community and for all over the country, wherever you may be, or uh, you know the county or all over the state of Kansas, doesn't matter. Thank you for your service. All presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. It's Phil's Coins, also online at philscoins.com. They are open right now until 2.30 this afternoon. Go and check those guys out. All right, I want to get to our next guest. Let's shift gears a little bit back to the political realm just a bit as we get super excited. My state legislator uh, up in Topeka representing me from up in the Newton area. It's state representative Mr. Stephen Owens on the line with us here. Stephen, how are you, my friend? I'm doing fantastic, Andy. Uh, it's good to talk to you. It's been a, been a long time since we... I've been able to chat. It was a heck of a legislative session this year. You guys really rocked it. And I know you were extremely busy up there this year. Yeah, we really did a lot of work. But before we jump into that, I've got to say that I echo your sentiments 150,000%. Our law enforcement are top-notch in this state. They are some of the best men and women in existence, all the way from PD, all the way up to the troopers. Yeah. I cannot express my appreciation enough for them as well. So I just... I had to echo that sentiment 100%. Well, they're amazing. And again, like I, I feel so bad because who honestly wants to be put in that situation to be, you need to go to your job and you need to do your job and you need to have other people's lives and well-being in your responsibility, but don't you screw up because if you do, then you're the worst person on the face of the earth. And by the way, we want to defund your department so you don't make <laughs> as much and we want to take away your immunity and we want to do all this other stuff. But by gosh, when I'm in trouble... You're going to be my first call. Give ah, me a break. It drives me nuts. Anyway. It drives me nuts. Yeah. Anyways, so legislative set, and, and we can actually talk about it, because did you guys address any of that kind of stuff in the legislature this year, working with law enforcement on certain issues? Look, the reality is the, the Senate and the House are have you know very full support of our law enforcement. The, these issues, there is no way those conversations were going to come up in a Republican-dominated legislature. Yeah. We made it a point to ensure that our men and women uh, in blue, knew that they were supported, knew that they were taken care of. And so, no, I, we, you don't, that's not happening. Not happening here in the state of Kansas. Good. I love it. The biggest issue that came out, I was so impressed with how we were able to actually get really, really close to some school choice issues. We uh, talked about some tax rates. We were at least able to match to where we could have uh, the deductibles. We could actually have write-offs on our taxes the way we do at the federal level to match the plans. Yep. Uh, so, Overall, we did well. We have a few things we still need to work on. But overall, I think when it came to taxes, we didn't get any lowered. We didn't get to spend less money. But we came really close this year. So here's what did happen, right? We, we, we proposed, and we've been fighting this now for three or four years, ensuring that the Trump tax cuts that were passed actually were passed on to our constituents, to our citizens, right? And so that took uh, many, many years to make it happen, and it ultimately took an engaged electorate to elect enough people to override the governor's veto because we did pass a $300 million, uh, what equated to a $300 million tax cut simply by opening the door to allowing um, those Trump tax cuts to actually come through. So, so, you know, we did do that and it took the people getting involved to ensure that we had the votes to tell the governor, no, not this year, this year, we know what we're doing and we need to do more of it. Have you seen the recent budget numbers, Andy? We're projected to have a $1.8 billion ending balance this year, one of the largest ending balances in history. That's taxpayers' money. Yeah. It needs to be in their pocket, not in the state coffers. Now, how much of that, my big question is, how much of that is from tax revenue coming in from the state, and how much of that is money, grant money, assistant with COVID-19 relief money, coming oh. in from the federal government to the state where Kelly's just kind of back-pocketing that stuff? 
totally different. This is just state general fund dollars. Mm. This is state revenue. The money coming in from COVID is another, I think, $1.6 billion. Wow. And so you're, you're talking about together, what's that, $3.4 billion if you added it all together? So, no, that's, that's a very different pot of money. This is simply taxpayer money. Wow. That that has been collected. And hey, you know what? Great. The economy's booming. You know, people are getting back to work, although, you know, we definitely need to cut out the extra unemployment. I think that's a given. Um, because everybody is hiring. Yeah. But it, it shows that our economy is healthy. And when our economy is healthy and we have an excess of revenue, then that excess needs to go back to the taxpayer. It, it's it's very simple in my mind. Well, it's there's a difference between having a safety net for when expenditures for a, a sure. declaration of emergency happens, we need some extra funds to help out with something. There's a difference between that and then saying, wow, we have a stockpile of cash because my mindset as a conservative is the government should look for projects to do based on what money they have, not saying these are the projects we're going to do, now we need to find the revenue source for them. And right now we're kind of in that latter situation. Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, so you know, if you remember post or, or pre-COVID, we had an ending balance of about a billion dollars. Well, when we went into COVID, projections were low. That billion dollars really came in handy. But here we are at nearly double that. So determining where that safety net applies, right, and, and, and what should be there going forward uh, is absolutely huge. But for the governor to veto, uh, you know, a $300 million uh, return to the taxpayer, when now we have you know 1.8 billion extra, uh, it doesn't compute. And so, uh, no, without a doubt, we we've got to be prudent with our money, but we've always got to remember that that's the taxpayers' money and not the government's money. Yeah, it's unfortunate. She ran on one of the campaign tactics and then kind of backed off once she became elected. But where are we at with lowering sales tax on food? We use that uh, with six six and a half percent statewide, just like we do with all of our other sales tax. We're one of the few states in the nation that still taxes food because that's kind of a I don't know, consumable resource that we need. Uh, where did we get this year with lowering sales tax on food? And do you think that's going to come up again here soon? Absolutely nowhere. And that wow. is certainly, I mean, we, we've got nowhere. That is a campaign promise that, that has been proposed by Democrats and Republicans that she has never executed on. Um, lowering food sales tax is a great way to return money to the taxpayer. That would cost, if we eliminated the state food sales tax, that would cost uh, about $600 million. That's a great way to return it back to the taxpayer, right? Exactly. I mean, it, it's things like these that we can think about that, that make good sense, that make our state a better place to live and raise a family that we just simply need to execute on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Let's talk about the labor shortage for a minute. We have on Candace Works the government database of jobs that people can apply to. They can go and get certified, get training, get courses, and then actually go into the workforce. We have a record number of jobs on Candace Works at like 50,000 plus jobs across the state of Kansas all over, but yet we can't fill them. They use that now as saying, well, it's a wage issue, not a labor issue. So if we just raise minimum wage, then that way we can actually go back to work and we don't have to worry about these unemployment benefits. Uh, obviously, we're now, what, two months out from the unemployment benefits expiring at the federal level, although I have an inkling that they're going to extend those at the federal level as well because the economy's just not quite there yet. At what point will we finally convince Governor Kelly to end these extra unemployment benefits and force people back into the workforce? When she's not in office, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's going to be a priority over the next year and a half, as you well know. Uh, when, when we look at this, you know, the legislature even did what, what we could in sending a very strong message uh, via resolution to her saying this has got to end. 
I mean, I have, I live here in Heston. I've got Agco, Excel, BMG, uh, Heston Machine and Welding, a number of great companies. Every single one of them need employees. Their hindrance to growth is simply a labor shortage. I met with somebody in, uh, in Newton the other day, a great organization, Millennium Machine and Tool. Um, when, when they turned back on the requirement that people had to actually make applications and, and before they could get unemployment now, he literally would talk to people and says, no, I was just sending in my application to fulfill my requirement for unemployment. It pays too much, so call me back in September when my unemployment benefits it. What? They're, literally, they're literally that's what that. these employers are hearing. Yep. Uh, literally. That was firsthand information right there. Wow. Wow, it it blows so, my mind. So it seems like the government has set up this perfect scenario. We shut business down because you're non-essential, you're not important, you're killing people, you're spreading the virus, you're making people die because you, you, you're not following these guidelines. You're not important, so we're going to shut you down for a year, which is hard on the employee, it's hard on the business, sure. we lose all the revenue, we lose all the customer, we lose distribution means we shut down our economy. Now we come back and they're like, okay, you can open up, but now you need to raise your minimum wage, even though you've expended all of your emergency fund to stay afloat just when you don't have any customers but now you need to raise minimum wage in order to pay the people to bring them back with the unemployment benefits that we have we're creating the scenario for failure here well you're 100 percent right and i mean hey uh, if you watch cnn uh, you know that one of the benefits of inflation is higher wages right <laughs> i saw that the other day and i just laughed because that's ludicrous that's because everything costs more i mean that, that's just the nature of how things work so, yeah, the idea that, that we still continue to give handouts instead of hand-ups baffle me. Uh, I, I, I think we can all agree early in the pandemic there were tons of unknowns. We were trying to be uh, real careful. We're trying to help businesses with the PPP loans. Um, even then, when, when the extra unemployment was $600 a month, it was an insane amount of money. And I was like, man, you're really, you're really you know, anti-incentivizing people here. But here we are better than a year later still incentivizing people not to work. That, that just makes no sense. If you want to work, if you can get to work on time, I'll guarantee that we can find you a job. And if anybody needs a reference, look me up. I'm more than happy to point you to, to plenty of people that are hiring. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Let's do a rapid fire on a couple other issues here. Uh, school choice, school vouchers. We, we got really close to the, uh, the kids' uh, um, savings accounts for education as well. That didn't quite happen this year, but uh, when it comes to school choice and creating competition in the, uh, in the education system, the public education system, will we see that happen next year? I think that we'll take another step in that direction. And as a result of that, we actually did expand the, the, the scholarship, private school scholarship program a little bit, open that up to more people. So even though we didn't get the full-blown ESAs, we took some really great steps in the right direction. Look, our public schools are incredibly important, incredibly essential, but nearly every other state agency uh, struggles as a result of the demands that, that the K through 1200 pound gorilla put on the state system because of the Supreme Court ruling. Yeah. And so we've got to figure out how to address that, how to balance that out, and how to ensure that people are getting the, the education that they need, but that other state services are being provided. So competition's been proven to work in a scenario like that, like over in, uh, in Florida, where they did this very similar thing. Outcomes have increased, 
and um, as has you know, school funding per pupil is substantially less. So there's a lot of work to do there, but we made some really good progress. Yeah. And lastly, before we take a break here, and then I want to get into some Second Amendment issues, but you guys spent a lot of time during the session recap at the very end there on the marijuana bill, and it came a lot closer than it ever has in the state of Kansas. I know it's one of the first things to be slated on for next year, but uh, why the extra amount of time you guys spent on that for hours on end for days, really, for the last couple of days during that session recap? Why was that such a major issue as you guys wrapped up this year? You know, that's a really good question that I honestly don't have an answer to. <laughs> uh, obviously, that was that issue was important to leadership on some level, uh, whether it was the chairman or leadership in the House, uh, because they're the ones that actually decide whether those things continue to move forward. It did narrowly pass the House uh, in, in its current form. Uh, it's very interesting, right? You've got conservative Republicans on both sides of that issue. You've got moderates on both sides of that issue. Uh, it, it, it's one of those things that um, you know, is important to some people, but but someone in leadership thought that that was really important and needed to happen this year. So yeah. uh, it's now in the Senate's hands next year. Uh, I don't know what Senate President Masterson and, and his team have in mind for that legislation next year, but uh, but it, it'll be in their court when we start up in January. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's a bad bill. I think it definitely needs discussed, and I think that we need to address it. It was just odd to me when um, you know we had so much stuff at the end of the session, and then that was the issue that was kind of talked about and, and spent a lot of time on. So I found that fascinating because it had never we gone felt, that we far felt before. the same way. Yeah, I said these. I, I sat there and said the exact same thing, and and I sat next to Chairman Barker, whose committee that was heard in said the state, and I said the exact same thing. I said, "Wow, it's really interesting. We're spending this much time on this issue, yeah. but I couldn't get to who is driving that. Why is this so important?" Interesting. But, there you have it. There we have it. Let's take a break here. State Representative Stephen Owens, when we come back, the big news is as of just a week ago on the 1st of January, we saw some changes with Second Amendment laws in the state. 18-year-olds being able to conceal carry now. Not a whole lot of difference as they were able to open carry, but some big news there. But yet, Eddie Eagle being shut down too. So we'll talk about some of the Second Amendment issues with State Representative Stephen Owens when we come back. Plus, we have some calls on the line. Don't go anywhere. I promise we'll get to you here soon as well on Candace Talk on the Big Talker KQAM. <laughs> Twenty-five minutes past the hour. Welcome back into Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Five minutes to the bottom of the hour. It goes by way too fast. Hour and a half, almost done already here on Candace Talk, and that's what we do, doing the thing each and every weekend. Welcome back in three one six seven two one eight two five five. State Representative Stephen Owens hanging out with us. Let's talk about some gun stuff. You're on the board. I'm on the board with the Kansas State Rifle Association, trying to help with Second Amendment issues, and I think overall pretty well. Again, uh, advancing. Two-way issues in the state of Kansas. Although, come on, Stephen, Eddie Eagle, man, that's a bad deal, right? I can't. The fact that we can't even pass an Eddie Eagle program for our schools—that's uh—that's pretty wild. Yeah, you know, and the argument was right. So we've got to have eighty-four to eighty-four to override in the House. And the argument was, you know, there were people that supported a gun training program or the option for that in schools. There were a couple of people that had issues with the fact that it mandated the NRA's course of study and didn't allow for any other course of study. So that's where that one ran into some headway. I totally don't agree with that. Uh, I think that the the NRA's Eddie Eagle has been studied. It's been used for for years. It's a great program. And, And again, it's optional for a school to use if they so desire. But regardless of that, that's where that kind of got into a hangup. 
That's unfortunate, but we did win with the concealed carry. We were able to lower that to years, 18 years and older. Now, 18-year-olds were already able to open carry in the state, and I remember when that was implemented and schools and, and colleges going nuts and, like, oh, my gosh, we're going to see shootings of 18-year-old kids, and they're going to be carrying all over the place. We're going to see shootings in the classroom and all this, all this nonsense, which obviously hasn't happened. The biggest story they try to promote as well, a gun was stolen at a university or it was it was left in a bathroom so there was negligence because the students aren't mature enough to do it. That's the only story we have. But outside of that, I mean, we haven't seen any issue with young kids. Yeah, that exact same thing happened with the state legislator about five years ago when they left their gun in the bathroom and he was, uh, you know, in his 50s or 60s. So look, the, the reality is, you know what, uh, I, I give tremendous credit to Representative Blake Carpenter, who I know you've had on your show before, uh, and and the work of our Republican caucus to get this legislation passed. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about this legislation that just passed, creating a provisional license for concealed and carry. It requires the training. It requires, you know, you to be able to shoot and shoot effectively. It requires licensing. I read an editorial the other day uh, in one of the newspapers that that just made the blanket assumption without doing the research that that uh, that constitutional carry applied to 18 to 20 year olds. And that's simply not the case. There is a requirement for them to be trained. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate that. that, Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. There's just a lot of misinformation out there, right? Right. I mean, uh, we've heard a lot of these exact same arguments. And I had the ability, uh, the honor, honestly, to carry this amendment to add it to this reciprocity bill. Uh, And there are there are so many, you know, misconceptions out there. Yeah, you know, and so many we hear the exact same lines of, oh, their brains aren't developed until they're 25. Oh, they're they're not rational thinkers. Yet at 18, they're allowed to vote. Yeah. For people like me, right? They can incur debt. They can buy a house. They can live on their own. They can get married, sign their own contracts, join the armed force. I mean, they can do all of these things. Yet they can't protect themselves if they if they God forbid actually had to. Come on, guys. We've got to be a bit smarter than that. It doesn't make any sense. we got just about a minute left here before we have to let you go. But what is the next step for 2A issues in Kansas? We have constitutional carry. We've been able to renew and expand our reciprocity for other states uh, for to accept it here and for us to go out and about as well. What is the next step to continue to fight for 2A issues in Kansas? You know, we're in really good shape. I think I think working on that Eddie the Eagle issue will come back up this next biennium, uh, and we'll see what comes with that. I think that we... We passing this legislation is something we've tried in years past and did uh, have not been successful. But again, thanks to those people engaged in elections, they put the people in the House and in the Senate that were willing to support conservative issues. And that's what 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 changed the tone this year. I mean, the governor had more overrides than any governor in history in one year and or more vetoes than any governor in history in one year. And we had more overrides than on one governor in history than we ever had. So. So it really goes to show that an engaged and informed electorate can really steer how a legislature works. And this is a this is a great example. So we will continue to fight and protect those uh, those Second Amendment rights. I love it. State Representative Stephen Owens, District Number 74 up in the Newton area, my district as well. So we appreciate you very much. Keep up the fight, my friend. You're rocking it. You're killing it. And I know that we're gearing up for next year as well. It's a good one. We'll get you back on the show again here real soon, my friend. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, everybody. Keep up the fight. Always a pleasure there. That's State Representative Stephen Owens. We'll take a break, get your phone calls. We'll talk to the American Red Cross on their blood shortage and a lot more. Last half hour of the program is Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM.
Now back to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. So as we kind of get ready to wrap up the program, take off the headphones during the break, do thing, get ready to come back on the air, put the headphones back on, and my earpiece on the left side of my ear snaps off. Just snaps right in half. Just falls apart. So it sounds like the the rest of the program, we're going to be one ear in it, if you know what I mean, for the rest of the show. Still here. Everything's all good. But uh, if you're watching on the Facebook live feed, which you can go to facebook.com slash 1480kqam and watch the stream, I only have one earpiece in now because apparently I, I the other one just snapped off, just fell right off. So that's fun. We'll just kind of rock through it and power through the way we do because we're professionals here on this program. Welcome back in. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, we do have a caller on the line that's been waiting very patiently, so we appreciate that. Thank you for waiting. Good morning. Who's this? Scott. Scott, what's going on, sir? How are we doing? Well, there's a lot of people who claim they're the solution. Actually, they're the problem. Okay. Uh, in the case of Wichita, they could have gotten these people. They're called associate grocers. They help uh, build and put together all what you need to have a grocery store. The city could have contacted them, but instead of spending money on the needs of the community, they use police and put them in there. Now, maybe you call the police maybe every couple of years, but you got to go to the store usually at least once a week. Yeah. So I think that's more of a priority than spend a lot of money on police. And all I'm saying is that I don't want to wait 10 years to uh, have to get a grocery store around versus waiting 10 years before I have to call a cop. You know, I consider that a good thing if I don't have to call a cop. But that I got to go to the grocery store. You're right. So I'm now, just they got their priorities wrong. They claim they're the solution, but they're the problem. Yeah. They need to get both out. Well, I, I'm right there with you when uh, – here's the thing. I don't think the city, though, should be spending money on grocery stores. I mean, the, the city shouldn't be invested in private business. My curiosity is why in the world is it so difficult to get a private company to come in and actually put in a grocery store, it's a consumeristic not. good? There's demand for it, and the way the private sector marks is when there's a demand, then you fulfill that demand because people make a profit. That's just the, the way things work. So if there's a demand for grocery stores because people need food – why is it so difficult to get them out? I, just, I don't understand that. Is it a zoning city, issue? Like, the what the heck's going on? How, city knows how to plan different areas for business and development. That's what they do. I mean, if, for example, if you have a quick trip in the yeah. city of Wichita, you can tell them, okay, we'll let you locate where you want to the first time, but the, or the first two times, but the third time, you got to put it where we need one at. So it's a zoning That's issue. The same groceries. If you say, hey, you know, you can put the first two where you want, but the third one's got to go where we need one at because the people have to have that stuff available to them because otherwise it's not serving their interest. So it's a it's a zoning issue than a one they're allowed to build. Well, exactly. Because, see, you shouldn't have one area where they got everything that they needed and then other areas where they don't. Uh, that's not a balance of the city. You know, the city needs to have balance in different businesses, such as grocery stores specifically, because everybody in the city needs to go to a grocery store, just like everybody needs to buy toilet paper. paper. That's why they yeah. had all that rush on it that one time before. Sure. So, well, no, you're right. There's, there's a demand. I mean, obviously, people need to eat. And when I mean eat, I don't mean like uh, I feel 
horrible. Like it breaks my heart to think that the only food available for some individuals in some areas is to go to the gas station and get a a fried tostito thing, which are yummy, by the way. But to sustain your sustain yourself on on uh, you know frozen tostinos, hot dogs, and, and bags of chips at a gas station, and that's your livelihood for food. I can't fathom that breaks my heart thinking about something like that. Well, the city, like I say again, they have that's why they were put in power is to help the development and the environment of the people of Wichita or Sedgwick County, you know, in the area which they are supposed to be elected to serve. And they're not serving the public interest. And so if they can't do it for some reason, that's okay. Get somebody else in there. They need to step down. Hey, you know, I can't do it. I, I don't have what it takes to uh, help the community here in Wichita and Sedgwick County. I'm going to move aside. That would show more uh, a gut in my my point of view than just sitting there and getting a check or whatever and not doing anything. Well, it shouldn't even be that. It should, that, it should hey, just be like we need to dezone these things to where wherever someone feels the need to build a grocery store, let's make this happen. There's a food desert here. Let's get business in here. Let's incentivize them. They made a sweet deal, obviously, for the uh, for the big stadium downtown, which I don't I don't necessarily complain about. But if we can do that for entertainment, let's get if we can do it for entertainment well, purposes, let's do used. the same thing for necessary businesses. They hardly ever use that stadium downtown, but people certainly go to the grocery store a lot more than they go to that stadium. I mean, it ain't even open uh, three quarters of the year. So I just think that if if a city official cannot, you know, like I say, they have the associate grocers. They need to contact them and and talk about them about their program for which they can help put up a grocery store. If they can't do stuff like that, they need to step aside and let somebody who can do it. Yeah. I mean, it's better to do that than just let people suffer for the next 10 years. It'll be 10 years before they get a grocery store here, and maybe 20. We're going to be retired. Right. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't know about you. Yeah, Scott, I'm right. I'm right there with you, my friend. I, I've never seen this. I'm curious on if other cities have this same problem, but I've never heard of the concept of a food desert before. Now, I've never lived in big cities before, except for like Colorado well, let Springs. Let me, let me that's similar, but I don't know if other cities have the same problem. Well, let me tell you something. Now. I, I've been down in Dallas, and they've had areas of town where you know I had a car. It stopped on me. I went to go get something to, to help get it going. Somebody stole the battery. Mm. They had a grocery, a nice-sized grocery store not that far from that area. So yeah. I'm not saying that uh, just because the area is not sweet and delicious means that they can't get a grocery store. Because like I said, I ain't saying that was the better part of town. But they had a nice grocery store. I give them that. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, I think it's, they can do that here in Wichita if you got people who are willing to do what it takes. Well, here's what I'll say is I'll say that the private sector and the people will always find a way to compensate for a demand that's actually needed, especially for an essential demand like, I don't know, food and livelihood. And I know they're talking about doing like, you know, community gardens and stuff for 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 clean eating and for for uh, healthy eating, which is good. That's awesome. People should be doing that anyways with, you know, gardens and, and natural plants and stuff that's growing out there anyways. What drives me nuts is when we even talk about that, then the city council says, well, that's awesome. We need to work on the zoning laws and, and business laws to where you're allowed to sell it because we apparently have a law saying that if you grow in your garden, you can't sell that food to your neighbor in order for them to eat a piece of lettuce that came out of your garden, and we need to change the rules to allow that. That's the issue we have. We have so much red tape from government bureaucrat BS that we can't do what we need to do to survive, and this is the perfect well, example of that. Well, see, there again is a situation where 
They are part of the problem, not the solution, even though they'll well, tell government. you. Oh, government's yes, always I'm the problem. The never. So, yeah, government's never the solution. Government itself is always, always the problem. They will never solve anything. And this is a prime example. When people can't even eat a piece of lettuce grown by your neighbor's garden because we need to change the rules and laws to allow them to sell that to you, when there is no grocery store within a 40-mile radius because you are, you're in a food desert, there's something wrong with the system, and that's stupid, and it's screwed up. And that is, the, that is you're absolutely right, the problem with the government right there. They always claim they're the solution. But they're always the problem. They're like always the problem. Scott, I appreciate that very much, my friend. You're, you're absolutely right. I agree with you 110% on that one. That's that's what burns me up with this issue. We have a food desert. Okay, you know what? Let's get grocery stores in there. Private business should say, hey, there's an opportunity here. Let's build a grocery store because there is a pent-up demand. People need groceries, obviously. If it's an issue with crime, then we clean up the crime and get law enforcement in there, which it sounds like there is. And the crime may be there, but we always have crime in parts. So it's never going to go away. But can we limit that in order for people to actually need that? And is there a value worth of too much crime versus what's there? I don't think that's necessarily the issue. I think it's all the zoning issues and it's the government issue. They've created the red tape while they say they're there to solve it. Let's open it up. Wherever we need a grocery store, let's make the grocery store happen. Like now, to think about it, like my heart breaks. I get I get teary-eyed thinking about something like that, that there's literally no place for you to get food except for a gas station where you get fried hot dogs and bags of chips. And to live off of something like that as a livelihood and expect the health to be good to where we're not going to the hospital with clogged arteries or having diabetes or having other medical issues, that's, a, that's an issue. That is a government-created problem. All right, let's do community gardens. Let's raise the garden. Let's actually do community gardens. We raise some we raise some watermelon, we raise, uh, raise some lettuce, we raise some carrots, we raise some radishes, we raise some jalapenos, we do some we make a salad, we give that to you, we sell that product to the community. Well, that's great, but we need to change the rules to be allow you to do that because you know it's not FCC or you know FDA approved and it's not USDA approved and we need to change the rules here when you can't even survive because government has the red tape, there's a serious problem. Oh, that boils me up. That gets me so angry. While they say they're the solution, they're the ones screwing it up. And I got to be careful for the FCC rules here because I'm about to lose my patience with governments making issues worse, harming people while they say that they're actually there to take care of them. Get private industry to do what needs to be done. Get the private sector to take care of the community. Get the private businesses in there to take care of people and actually get products in there. Not government handed bullcrap, not government handed out stuff, but actually get business in there to take care of individuals because that's what the private sector does. Now, I don't care about your hatred against capitalism or evil corporations. Guess what? They supply a service that's necessary for the well-being of people. Get them in there. Get your red tape and your regulations the hell out of there, and let's actually take care of some people in our community. My rant's over. All right, I got to shift. You know what? Let's go ahead and take a break here first. I'll cool down for a minute because now you got me all riled up, Scott. Thank you for that one. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk to the American Red Cross on their uh, extreme blood shortage right now. And why do we have a blood shortage? What's going on? And what can we do to help them out? We'll do that when we come back here on Candace Talk on the Big Talker KQAM. <laughs> All right, about 10 minutes, top of the hour. Wrapping up here on Kansas Talk, hour number two, just about done here on the Big Talker KQAM. We sat down with the American Red Cross to talk about their blood shortage. As you know, they've had an extreme one. We were doing well last year during COVID, which to me is odd, and then we ended up seeing a shortage of that one. So why? Why are we seeing a shortage of blood, and what can you do to donate blood to the American Red Cross, and what does that go towards? We sat down with the American Red Cross here 
in the state of Kansas, and this is what they had to say. American Red Cross here in the Wichita area, Jane Blocker with us. Jane, how are you? I'm great, Andy. Thanks for having us on. Actually, Shannon Wedge is your executive director uh, in the Wichita area, but I am pitch-heading for her today. I'm up in the Topeka Lawrence area. No, up in Topeka, fantastic. Well, really across the state of Kansas, you guys are desperately needing some blood all over. It's weird because we we saw a massive spike right before the pandemic, during the pandemic ish, but it's kind of weaned off a little bit. Why do you think it's uh, kind of changed with people not wanting or not just coming in to to donate blood? Well, summer is a challenging time for us to give blood at any time. Um, every year, we we fight this during the summertime. People are busy with sports activities, travel, things like that. So giving blood just is not always at the top of their, their things to do. But um, we, unfortunately, continue to experience a severe blood shortage that's really impacting, in an adverse way, the blood product availability, not just in Kansas, but across the country. Yeah. Now, for those that may not know, if you donate blood, what does that usually go to? It goes to uh, hospitals for individuals that need it during an accident, that sort of thing? There are so many different ways um, that the blood is is channeled once it is tested and uh, sent out to hospitals. So we have dozens and dozens of hospital accounts throughout Kansas and Oklahoma and, and the entire country. So, um, you know, as I said, it's a very challenging time to maintain a strong blood supply during the summer months. Yeah. Um, during COVID, um, when everything was closed up, we had more appointments than we could practically keep up with. There were wow. so many people uh, wanting to give blood. In fact, it was hard to find an appointment available. But now that things have opened back up, as I said, people um, are busy, and um, giving that donation is not always at the top of their priority list, but we really need it because um, blood patients cannot take the summer off from from needing those um, life-saving transfusions. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's weird. I wanted to ask you about that during the COVID pandemic, and I know at first people are a little reserved to give blood with the pandemic. You know, is the virus in my system? Is it going to harm somebody else? Then you guys, I know, were asking for individuals who have maybe received COVID or gotten the vaccine to give because then they were protected. They had the antibodies in their system. So talk about where we're at now. I mean, obviously, it's is it okay if you've gotten COVID, if you've gotten or not gotten the vaccine? Does that make a difference if you're trying to donate blood now? It does not make a difference. And there are still people that um, carry the antibodies if they um, did have COVID. But um, one thing you wanted that you mentioned that I wanted to touch on is safety is always the top priority for all of our donors that come in to give that gift of life. Yeah. Every blood drive and every donation center, is all, we've always followed the highest standards of safety and infection control. Um, we have even increased um, and added additional precautions in place to ensure the safety of our, our blood staff, our volunteers, and the donors who come in to give. But, you know, during um, COVID, uh, we were testing every blood donation uh, to see if um, that donor did have the antibodies. And we continue to do that. And um, you receive notification usually within a week if you did have uh, if you did test positive for the antibodies. And so what we did is we would take that donation and make sure that it got to hospitals where there were COVID patients who would benefit from 
that donation. So that was critical, and it's something that we continue to do. That's amazing. I love it. Are there certain blood types that you're looking for right now, or are you short on all different types of blood? We're short on everything, but of course O is, you know, the universal blood type. So um, anybody that has that type of, of blood, we would love to have you make an appointment. It's so easy to give, Andy. Yeah. Um, we, we make the process as streamlined as possible. And um, the easiest way, though, to make an appointment is to call 800-RED-CROSS. Or you can also make an appointment at Red Cross Blood, uh, I'm sorry, redcrossblood.org. But the easiest way to make an appointment is by downloading the free Red Cross Blood Donor app. And, you know, we urge everybody to schedule an appointment prior to coming in to give blood. But you can also save about 15 minutes at the actual blood drive itself by completing a rapid pass. And that's just questions that you can answer just using your smartphone. Um, it's basically your health history. And um, to complete it, you can just download that app. You can also get it online. But that'll save you some time, too, so that you can get in and out of the donation site fairly quickly. Uh, one good thing that is coming up that you guys are doing, because you need individuals donating blood right now, is really across the state. You have uh, some gifts that you're giving away to people throughout the month of July. If they go in and donate blood, they can receive a $10 Amazon gift card by email. You also can get into a chance to win gas for a year with up to a $5,000 value. So that's pretty cool uh, with you guys giving some incentives away. Yeah, how great is that, especially now with rising gas prices? Um, winning gas for an entire year, which is up to a $5,000 value, that's huge. And the Amazon gift cards, uh, for anybody who comes in to uh, get that gift alive between now and the 31st of July, they will receive that $10 card via email. Cool. I love it. I love it. One more time, if people want to sign up or maybe never gone through the process, describe the process a little bit and, and again, let people know how they can reach out, how they can schedule an appointment, what they can do. Scheduling an appointment is very easy. You have three options. You can go to redcrossblood.org or call 800-RED-CROSS. Choose the option for blood. And then lastly, uh, download our free Red Cross Blood Donor app. There you you go. can schedule your appointment either three ways. I love it. Uh, super easy access. Make sure to do it and do it before the month of July. The American Red Cross desperately needing it, some help and getting that blood donations all over the state of Kansas. Jane Blocker with the American Red Cross. Jane, we appreciate the time very much. We'd love to get you back on the show again soon. Would love to. Thank you so much, Andy, for helping us get out the word. There it is. That's the American Red Cross for the state of Kansas. Definitely needing some help with some of those blood donations. It's wild to me how we had a lot of them during covid I would think that with like if we have a virus and it's in our blood or in our system, we'd be hesitant to give blood. But uh, more people donating blood then. Now we're seeing that shortage shortly after. So get out there, donate some blood, get some prizes this year or this month as well if you do it before the end of July. Is it done all over? Really? It's all done already? Goes by way too fast. Joe Pags live with the weekend coming up here right after the top of the hour news on KQAM. We're back at it next weekend. Alan Cobb, Kansas Chamber of Commerce. We'll sit down with him next week to talk about the labor shortage, how the economy is doing uh, in the state of Kansas after COVID uh, as well. We're going to try and get uh, some other guests as well within different industries that have been struggling and talk to them in the next few weeks as well. Plus, we'll be doing some other fun things that we have yet to do on the show before. So some new things and new guests coming on the program. Really looking forward to that over the next few weeks as well. So stay tuned in. Also, make sure to check out The Voice of Reason live Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. here on KQM, our flagship station of the national broadcast at The Voice of Reason. Until then, I'm Andy Hoosier. This is Candace Talk. Everybody have a wonderful weekend. Go Conor McGregor.
We'll see you on Monday here on KQM. Everybody have a great weekend.